0: A listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Hey team, welcome along to a special edition of the Howie Games, a real late breaker. It features a man that is set to become just the fifth VFL AFL player to reach the 400 game milestone, Sean Burgoyne. Guthrie worked it World well, trouble, Handle over the top, Bruce. Well done Rivers, Lewis, brilliantly gunston. Burgoyne to put them in front. He doesn't miss. He's kick free. Now, this chat was actually recorded a while back for another project in conjunction with the Hawthorne Football Club. So, you will hear some references to homeschooling, lockdown, Sean's game tally at the time, and a couple of other things. But most importantly, Sean's story, it is all here. I actually came across the files on my computer late last night and thought it is a great time to let it loose and give you all the chance to hear Sean's story. Short turnaround, short intro. Enjoy the tale of the man universally known as Silk Sean Playford Burgoyne. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed In King Selassie I Come on children, trod with me We want to reach Mount Zion. I some real excitement to welcome this man approaching 400 games of AFL football, which is quite extraordinary at Port Adelaide and Hawthorne, Sean Burgoyne. Great to see you. How you going, mate? Uh,
1: thanks for having me, mate. It's uh,
0: yeah. Hopefully we're
1: coming down from these restrictions and get back to some normal life very very soon.
0: Well, we were just having a chat before we got going as fathers. I've got two, you've got four, and we were yeah. just discussing homeschooling. How's it been for you and your crew? <laughs> It's been been
1: all right actually. The first week was quite stressful, probably for everyone, trying to get used to home, you know, ISO and, you know, 50 emails coming out a day from two different schools about our kids, you know, how to get online schooling set up. And then once we got through the first two or three days, it was pretty much the norm. So it was actually good family time once we got through that stressful stage. (laughs) Um, We found ourselves going for, you know, one hour, two hour walks a day as a family um, to get out of the house, exercise, and Uh, but it's good now they're back at we'll talk' them back at school this week and then the, the older two go back next week.
0: What do you like as a teacher?
1: <laughs> not good at all mate, <laughs> not good at all um, my wife she's a she's the one with all the patience. so she normally started off um, and then at some stage throughout the day she'd tap out <laughs> it got to her a bit and then I'd come in and um, finish off with the last probably 15 minutes of schooling, where well, she's punched out two or three hours.
0: So <laughs> I think that's the way we rolled in my house. Once one child was in tears, it will be time for a parent to step away and the other <laughs> parent to come in. So credit yeah. to all the school teachers out there. If there's one thing I've taken from this, Shawnee, that's it. I think every all parents now have got more appreciation for, um, for what teachers go through. <laughs> you, you mentioned time with the family. It must be I know how much of a family man you are, but it must be really special at this stage of the season where you are normally, as a professional athlete, so focused on yourself, mate. To be able to spread that focus a little wider, that's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, we're we're obviously, uh, most days I'm gone before the kids wake up and get back and um, they just get up from school. So to be able to spend more time with them um, throughout the day and then on the weekends as well, because we normally, uh, travelling or playing. It's, it's been some great family time and especially for my youngest one, uh, Nixie, um, you know, who's, um, I've got, the bond with her has gotten a lot stronger now because um, I'm, I'm with her every day. Normally they're all mummy's kids, because she spends the most time with them. But it's good to be able to strengthen that and watch them grow. So, um, but yeah, I'm very happy to get them back at school.
0: <laughs> Just while we're talking about family, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty all-encompassing question, but what does it mean to you to be a dad?
1: Oh, it's probably, it's hard to explain, or it's pretty easy to explain. If you're a dad like yourself, you know exactly what another dad's talking about, Um, the joy you get to to see and feel uh, when you bring them into this world, and then to watch them grow, and then to have those milestones, you know, first step, first walk, first day at school, um, you know, all those things, which is, um, I think... For me, it's probably the reason why I've been put on this planet <laughs> is to is to be a father and hopefully be a good one, um, to make memories with them. Um, and now, if you throw football in there, I'm, in the, you know, I'm closer to the end of my career than the start, to be able to have the kids come and, and watch me play footy and, <laughs> and take a real interest and hopefully when I'm dead and gone in years to come, they they take their kids to the footy and talk about um, what they used to do as a kid and and hopefully it's a bit of a tradition um, that a lot of probably families go
0: through. I'm a sucker for the moments when um, athletes run out in milestones with their kids and holding their hands or after, you know, you're lucky enough to play in four premierships, one at Port and three at Hawthorne, when your kids have been involved and they've been out on the ground. What are those moments like for a dad? Because this man played his 300th game, Sean Burgoyne, and he has been an out-and-out superstar
1: of the game. And what a way for him to be carried off the ground by his two great Indigenous teammates. Unbelievable. Um, you know, to, to go through the journey of your footy career and then to, to share that with your teammates, but then to share it with your wife and your kids, is even takes it to greater levels. Um, you know, and then before those big games, before those milestone games, talking about them, to your kids when they're very inquisitive and um, you know my kids have been super lucky they've probably run through more banners than any other kids (laughs) in the history of the game so um, they've been to so many grand final parades it was a year a couple of years there where they were saying so when are we going to go into the the grand final and um, and to share that because when you come off you know they see as a footy player um, and the dad they see when you come home and you're banged up and you're bruised and you're sore and you, you can't walk properly and all those things and then so they kind of ride the journey through. They probably don't understand the significance of what you're going through at that time, but they see, you know, behind when you come home what you like, and then to see you run out on the big stage and, and and play footy, and whether you win or lose, um, they're there, and you know they get really really excited when you when you win, and as soon as you, we lose, they're the first ones that come in and. Um, you know, uh, try and put a smile on your face. So it works both ways. And when you win a grand final, you see the looks on their face. And, um, you know, the club does a really good job of capturing all that on, on film and then giving it to the families as well. So we go home and the kids watch themselves for a,
0: a while and, and relive the moment. That's super cool. While, while we're on the topic of family, Shawnee, can you tell us a bit about your family and and your history and your background and your culture of where your people yeah. are from?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm originally born in Darwin. Um, so my mum's family's from Darwin. Uh, so I'm a Warray man, which is just south of Darwin, uh, near the, I don't know if you know, the, uh, the Daly River area. I do. So yeah, it's just around that area. So, uh, And my, my dad's a South Australian, so he's a, he's a Kukwatha man from the west coast of South Australia, over near the Western Australia border. Um, so that's a bit of my family. And then we moved around a lot as, as kids. Um, so we were born in Darwin. Um, we moved to country South Australia where my dad, my dad grew up in Port Lincoln. So pretty much called that home. Um, and then when I was, uh, you know, roughly an early teenager, it was a decision was made to have a crack at footy and move to the city, um, at 15 and, and then, yeah, schooling was also a part of it. <laughs> uh, but I put all my eggs into playing footy. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we moved back and forth a couple of times uh, when we were kids. You know, my older brother, Peter, um, he, he's obviously five years older than me. So when we were living in poor Lincoln, it was, took time for him to have a crack at footy. So we moved across to the city, got him set up with the Port Magpies. He was able to get drafted um, to the power. And then we moved back to the country And then the same thing happened again when it was time for me. So I was kind of like, um, you know, I've seen it happen with Peter. And so I just followed in his footsteps and then moved to the city and stayed there ever since.
0: Talk about your people. This morning I was looking on the uh, National Reconciliation Week website. And the first thing that pops up on there, Shawnee, is a map of Australia. And then you can zoom in with a microscope and look at all the different areas and all the different Groups and clans yeah. and tribes around the country, and it's it's my ignorance. I didn't realise the number of different tribes that are represented across the nation as a whole. It's quite extraordinary.
1: Yeah, it is. There's you know there's over well I think there's over 250 or, or 500 uh, different indigenous tribes throughout Australia, and over five something like over 500 different dialects. Huh. Um, so that just goes to show how you know how how many different. Indigenous groups there are Um, You know, so you know The the languages are all different Uh, There's a couple of similar ones who are next to each other But um, people who are from South Australia can't speak the same language As the people from Northern Territory or Western Australia um, Or even in the same State as well Um, They're all different and there's so many And if you look at that map, the the AFLPA's Map of all the Indigenous players Both male and female, you see where everyone comes from To play play football Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's they, they come from everywhere from the city from the you know the country rural communities um, everywhere so it's a really good um, talking piece for people to have a look at like you just said
0: Has any of those languages been passed down through your family to you or not yeah um, they have it's it's quite hard because um,
1: indigenous languages have been it's probably a lot it's a lot different to the English where the English document everything and write everything down whereas indigenous our indigenous people majority of it or you know, most of it is is passed down through stories and and pictures, and um, you see examples of um, you know rock art and caves, and um, but a lot of it's been passed down through through word of mouth and, and storytelling, and it hasn't been since the last um well, not not show sure many years, but um, the last few years where people have tried to write it down and, mm-hmm. and and get it written down to pass it down. So it's it's normally been passed down word of mouth. So. Uh, myself personally, I can't speak my language fluently, um, but I'm always learning. I wish I'd taken a bigger interest when I was younger to speak it fluently. Um, but you know, my dad and 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 then other family members can, which is disappointing on my behalf. <laughs> uh, something that I can always te- um, learn. And um, what I do know is I do try to teach that to my
0: kids. West Macbang in the middle of reconciliation week at the moment, and. The catch cry this year is in this together. What does reconciliation as a word mean for you, mm. mate?
1: Well, I think it's just the continual ongoing um, efforts to, to combine Indigenous Australia with non Indigenous Australia. Um, I think we're always fighting battles, um, and I think reconciliation is a, um, a really good spot to or a good word to bring people together and to stop the fighting and stop the arguing and about what happened. Um, you know, Australia's got a a really checkered past when it comes to you know the history of this country. Um, we cannot, we can't change, we can't change that, but it's something we can always learn from. And um, you can always teach your, your history. You look at Japan and Egypt and mm. all these countries overseas. You can just name them: China they know their history, they teach their history and they pass it down. And in Australia, we're still, we're not at that point where we're teaching the history and we're not um, passing what happened here down to to the generations of kids to come. And, you know, it's not about, it's always, it's not about blaming anyone or, you know, it's just teaching us our history. You can't change it. It's just learn from it, um, what actually happened, how do we, you know, we're still moving forward. There's still some things to be, to be done, um, you know we um, we had National Sorry Day a few days ago, you know Re- Reconciliation Week, um, but it's just about learning from the past and coming together and building towards a future. And um, I think we live in one of the best countries in the world, um, and why not continue to, to make it better?
0: It's interesting you say that, Shorty, because I know we're talking about school. If I'm talking about my school experiences, history of Australia began the way I was taught it in the 80s with Captain Cook arriving and the dates of significance and, and the First Fleet. And I don't think it really hit me how inaccurate that was until I was in Tassie quite a while ago now on Bruny Island, a place there, and, and there's a, a big layout about Indigenous culture and it talks about invasion And it was the first time I'd read that word and it just hit me right between the eyes and I was like, I I don't want this to be too political, but (laughs) as an an Australian, it hit me between the eyes reading that word and I was like, wow, well, that is the only way you can see it. And and I started to talk to my kids about it and what they're learning in school now is different to what I learned. So maybe there's some progress being made. Yeah, there is. It's obviously getting better
1: um, and each year, and as um, more information comes to light, and you want to be accurate as well with everything you're teaching. Mm. You don't want to be teaching. So there's also there's different point of views. There's different. There's probably different, reaccounts of what actually happened. But um, yeah, so you always want to be correct as well with what you're what you're saying, especially with the history. But it's something we've got to learn from. You can't change it. You know, it happened 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 300 years ago, or thousands of years ago. Is just learn from it, and um, and you you want to teach your your country's history, um, the correct history, as we go on. And when I was, I was the same as you when I was coming through, um, as a kid, and we we're learning about the same type of things. Um, yeah. I'd come home and talked about my dad. And they're like, oh, well, it's actually um,
0: true. A certain part of it's true, but it's not the whole story. If there's if there's one thing from both your mother and father, one one separate quality or value or approach to life that they instilled in you, what, what would they be?
1: Um, oh, yeah, there's probably a few different ones, but yeah. I've always been brought up to be humble um, and, and be respectful of others. So um, they're probably the two um, that um, stick with me. And, um, you know, I know there's play footy and I'm very privileged and we're in a lucky situation to be playing footy and being paid to play footy. And, there's always someone worse off and someone always going through a tougher time and families who are always going through a tougher time, even now with what we're going through in the the world. um, I'm pretty lucky at the moment because there are people who are out of work, um, don't have jobs, who have families to support. Um, And I'm just always mindful that there's always someone. So always being humble no matter what comes my way.
0: Who would you first play footy for as a little bloke? How old were you? Which is the first (laughs) team you played for? Well, back in
1: Paul Lincoln, they, they, they treated us pretty rough back then. They just chucked you in. Right. Uh, under, yeah, they chucked you in. So under 10s, they chuck you in. We, back when I was a kid, they just chuck you in when you was five, six years old and under 10s um, and get out there learn the hard way. Um, yeah, so I think the first couple of games, it might have been just swinging you on the point post, to be honest. <laughs> need a, and they'll always need to make up numbers, you know, we'll always two or three players short. We'll just grab that little – just grab him, he'll chuck him in. So – um, so yeah, so I grew up playing for Mallee Park in Port Lincoln and in the under 10, so
0: And what um, was it about footy? What what grabbed you about it, Shawnee?
1: Well I think when you're in a small country town, in summer it's cricket and in the winter it's footy. Um, you know, you wanna you wanna be out there playing, um, you wanna, you know, be with your mates, your friends, you know, before school, after school, you know, even during school, kick the footy, you know, ball, you know, throw the cricket ball down. Um, all those things so you've got a chance to hang out with your mates um, huh. try, used to try to get to school early so you can play well I think you Victorians call it Jack in the Pack that's it we call it Marks Up in South Australia yeah yeah. But, uh, used to try you know play Marks Up and take Becky's and um, obviously then watching you know your uncles and family members play footy before you so my my goal when I was a kid was I just wanted to play for Money Park and play in the, a, in, the, in the A grade in the ones um, growing up. So, you know, there's no better chance than hanging out. So I was always a person who wanted to play team sports, not individual sports. So you could always hang out with your mates, you know, and, and have fun the majority of the day.
0: Hey, because you've talked about Speckies, Shawny, <coughs> uh, as you know, I've got a couple of kids and often when we do this, they ask a question of the guest. Yes. And when they heard you were coming on, the excitement, Shawnee, in this <laughs> the house is through the roof. But you're talking about Speckies, so you get a question early doors, these normally come at the end, from my eight-year-old son, whose name is Mac, but he operates as a big penguin. That's just the nickname he gave himself, Shawnee. So yeah. when you're talking about Speckies, I thought uh, time for him to ask you this question. Hopefully you can hear it. Hi, Shawnee, big penguin. We love you. I think you're one of the best Hawks players. I go for the Hawks, by the way. How do you take amazing screamers? Because I've been practising so much with my dad, but I just, (laughs) I sometimes get it, but I don't always get it. How do you take amazing screamers?
1: How do you take screamers? Well, for, you know, best part of 10 years, I had front row seats to watching Cyril jump on heads every single day. Every single game he would jump on heads kicks to for oh is. <laughs> he's got it and I've taken I think one in my AFL <laughs> career I took a few in the juniors right uh, where, was the I, where was the one where was the one against skins collingwood at the G okay Burgoyne goes up and takes a great okay. grab fabulous mark by Burgoyne he can do it all but I jumped on the smallest player's head <laughs> uh, I think it's Taylor Adams he's right. not that high uh, but Cyril used to take hangers every week. So oh. the oh. prevails, Very okay, good. And then kicks to centre-half forward. Neat looking kick. Oh, yes. Cyril takes a special and goes BAM. It's a beautiful thing. In watching him, just uh, is a big penguin. Yes. Big penguin. So, yeah, he he just watched the ball um, and he's just so explosive. just run and jump. I don't think I've ever seen Cyril use his hand, so he naturally... Natural explosiveness, but um, he just basically practices as a kid growing up, trying to jump on people's heads. Jack in the pack.
0: Jack uh, in the pack. Well, he loves Jack in the pack.
1: Yeah, so you get better and better. And then in the last few years, since Cyril's gone, we have had Poppy uh, trying to take over the mantle. <laughs> so, um, but no, very good question.
0: But yeah, front row seats for the best part of 10 years. I'll pass it on to him. Was there another career path? That you were going down if you weren't going to play footy, or was it always footy? Like when you're at school, and you is the old careers day? What was Shawnee on putting his hand up to do? Well,
1: it was either, it was either PE or woodwork. <laughs> woodwork, <laughs> woodwork, right? Making making little one meter little one meter cabinets <laughs> with not very not very good joining uh, joinery, whatever you call it. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so probably I would have went into um, carpentry or something like that. Um, a lot of my mates, I went to school but in Paul Lincoln and, um, or in, in Adelaide, got into, got into um, building in, in the trade school. So I would have went down that path. Um, I wasn't too sharp in the, in the, in the, in the school classroom. <laughs> uh, so it was all oh, they have a full crack of footy and then if that didn't work out, I would have obviously went down the, the carpentry path.
0: We mentioned at the start you were talking about your family moved around a lot and then when your brother... Peter got drafted. So, what's Peter? Is he sort of four or five years older than you? Five, yep. Five. So, so, what was that like for you? He's sort of 17, 18, and you're, you know, 12, 13. Did it open your eyes to what was achievable? Or how was that process for you watching your brother go through it? Well, we have our second one point over the weekend. Terrific stuff by Primus. He bursts it out low. Oh, yes, a ball! And this could win the game! Burgoyne! They trail by a point. This to win the game. To the siren, Peter Burgoyne He's done
1: it. It was um, it, it it was at the time um, you're just not really too sure what to think about it. It's your older brother. He's playing footy. Um, he's going through the you know the state teams. You know, and he starts playing footy and then he gets drafted and then um, so he he was obviously 1780 when he got drafted. I was 12, you know, turned 13 and became pretty clear I, I wanted to play footy and then just the same steps you know we live in the same house eat the same foods sleep you know next to each other in the same room and it's just what what did he do to to get there um you know listen to your coaches you know all those different things so it made the, the pathway was pretty clear to follow once he got drafted and it was pretty exciting because uh, we lived in Adelaide then we moved back to Port Lincoln but it gave us an excuse to go to Adelaide to watch the footy. So, you know, a six-hour drive to watch the footy is not that far. So, wow. <laughs> you know, drive there, watch the footy, um, stay a day or so, and then and then drive home.
0: So you walk into Port Adelaide for the first time at 17 or 18 and you walk in there and there's this, just yeah. these massive men that are professional footballers. Like, what, what was your initial impressions of the AFL world, Shorty? It was... Well, my,
1: <laughs> I had a, a groin injury. i had osteitis pubis um, when I first started out um, in the AFL um, and I couldn't run much. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't do much at all. So, uh, well, I did. I, they kind of eased me through it, but they pulled me up quick smart. and um, So I've got a really um, front row seat to see how, how the, the best players train, how Matty Primus, the captain of the club, would train. You know, Matty was a freak runner. Um, he was a top ten runner. Um, he was probably the best player in the in the gym in the bench press and best player in chin ups. Um, wow! He was a super hard trainer. So to come in and watch your captain, who's six foot eight or whatever, be up there with the midfielders in everything, and then in the gym um, and in the recovery track. To watch him was something that I, you know, because I was I was obviously injured, I got to train along and see what it was like to actually. Well, that's what I want to be like. That's what you have to
0: train like. Your first game against—is it uh, St Kilda? Was it yes, yeah, St Kilda? Eddie had yeah. What's your memories? Your first game. I had a look at the <laughs> I had a look at the stats table, Shawnee, about your first yep. game versus St Kilda. What are your memories of it? Yeah, sitting on the bench for probably <laughs> four, for three and a half quarters. <laughs> I presume that was the case when I looked at the stats table. Yep. So you sit there and then like you run on for the first time.
1: Yeah, it, um, it was exciting. St Kilda had. A lot of good players as well. Um, they were really... Well they, were, well, they had a lot of young players coming through. Obviously, rewild kaziski was were just the same draft as me. They had Stephen Milne, who was coming through. Then you obviously had Garrick and and these other guys, you know, Robert Harvey. So they had a really good um, team. They were obviously going to come on to be, a, you know, a very good team like a bit later on. But sitting on the bench, mate, that's what, what happened when I first started. You sat there for... Um, you start on the bench. You sat there, and you come on for the third quarter, second quarter for five minutes. You come on for the third quarter, and then if they want to the rest a couple of star players or there's an injury, you maybe got half the last quarter. Um, I remember just tack- Stephen Mill running into open goal um, and chasing him down and tackling him about a meter from the a meter from the uh, the goal line, um, which was which was good.
0: What a fantastic effort! The first game on short. Purple.
1: Um, but, yeah, it, it, those first few games I was just sitting on, on on the bench until someone got injured. And you didn't want anyone to get injured, but that was pretty much the only way you got on the oval.
0: Being a man that's played three. What, I... were,
1: what were my stats? Probably Ooh. two kicks, well, <laughs> three kicks.
0: <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> don't want to say. Um, it was back pocket
1: as well. So one disposal. But it was a dis- good disposal. <laughs> I did,
0: I hit my target. There you go. Yes. And the tackle as well. I actually saw the tackle of Stevie Milne yesterday. But, mate, 377 <laughs> games. We, we could sit here for 37 hours to do this podcast. So I need to skip forward a bit. A premiership at Port Adelaide, the first premiership for the club, which is obviously extremely special in the AFL. You've won four grand finals, but what's it like to run out with your brother on grand final day and succeed? Yeah, it
1: was unbelievable. Um well, the Port Adelaide story is probably a unique one in itself. You know, we, I think 2001, 2003, we won more games than anyone else. Yes. Um, we were probably the best home and away team in those four years, uh, but Brisbane were the best finals team. Um, and we never, got to, we never got to the grand final until 2004. So we, uh, we just couldn't put it together in the final series and Collingwood and, and Brisbane Lions did. Um, and Brisbane Lions obviously go on to, to, to win a 3 P and we don't even make, you know, we've we made the grand final once since, you know, in, in four years. So there was a lot of choking um, stuff going on about Port Adelaide, Arby, chokers, all those things, and they were very warranted and it created a lot of pressure. Mm. Um, and all the players who who came there were under, under the microscope and then 2004 when we were able to get there, Actual get to the grand final because the prelim against <laughs> the prelim against um, St Kilda went down to a wire, did didn't it? Yeah, yeah, Gary. If Fraser Go oh, I, I believe well, a lot of people probably agree. If Fraser Goat didn't kick his hundredth goal in the first quarter, we would have lost that game um, because St Kilda were absolutely giving us a spanking. Um, you know, they, it, was, it was like twenty eight points to two or something like that and then he kicked his 100th goal. The crowd come on.
0: For a full forward. it's a relatively simple task. Fraser Gehrig for a 100, a moment to savour. Well, really, the St Kilda fans have got rocks in their heads. They're bringing, they're actually bringing Gehrig off the ground, boys. He's going up the
1: St Kilda race right now. Um, We got a chance to regroup, talk about um, what we needed to do, and then we kind of sapped St Kilda's energy. And we were able to come back. Yeah. So St Kilda were probably furious with their fans because it was their fans who ran on the Oval, um, or probably a lot of Paul fans too, and held, stopped their momentum. Mm. Um, and then we basically win by one goal and then get them to the grand final. And you see a lot of players with tears and celebrating because of the amount of pressure we were under. And they are there! For the first time, the power. Grand final. And then to get to the grand final and play there and and win to share it with Peter, obviously Byron lived with Byron lived with us as well, and Gavin Wanganin's a cousin of ours as well.
0: An outpouring of emotion from Mark Williams. He's the proudest man in the land tonight. Making
1: today. It was a very special bond to have with, with those other three guys, um, but also the entire footy club, what we've been through the last three to four years, to get that and, and the relief. <laughs> there was a lot of relief going on about uh, winning the flag as much as, you know, celebrations.
0: What's the defining memory of it for you? Like a moment after the game or with your brother or listening to Choco? Or what, like what's the defining memory you have of that first premiership?
1: Oh, the, probably the, the first thing that comes to my mind is when Daryl Wakeland and Lynch got into a fight, and I was standing right next to him. And you, she was, you were there when the punch <laughs> on was happening, yeah. wasn't it? And, yeah, and and Lynch, he was trying to punch holes holes into Daryl. Yes, <laughs> he was. He, he was swinging, but luckily he kept missing. Oh! That
0: was the punches! Oh, right oh, that swing it was the lead swinging!
1: Extraordinary! just This is almost the black one. This guy does know what to do. Oh, it's An extraordinary! Look at this! Lynch just swung six of the biggest punches I've oh, ever seen oh, in my oh, life. It was a funny one because everyone's like, "Why didn't you jump in?" And I'm like, well, there's "Two six-foot-five <laughs> men swinging. <laughs> Me and Jason Akermanas, two small guys, and..." Initially, when it started, I looked it, I was like, "Oh, help!" And I was looked, and then I was like, "No, nah, I'll, I'll cop one." And I was like, "Oh, should I?" But then the ball was actually coming down, wow. and I was, and it flicked in my head that um, if I went there, Acker would just lead up and get an easy mark. So I was like, "Just stay with him," because the ball was actually coming down. <laughs> uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Everyone, was like, um, it was, it was pretty funny because I think. Uh, Lynch, you might have either tore his quad before yeah, that or during right. that fight. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it was um, a little – that's probably the first thing that comes to my mind and then just obviously the the celebrations and that and soak it in and just, you know, reflect on probably the last few years we'd, we'd gone through. Why did you leave Port Adelaide? <laughs> well, there was probably a combination of things. My knee, uh, my brother retiring, um you know, a whole different range of you know falling out of love with the game there, and um, the different the different dynamics of the group, um, not enjoying going to training, not enjoying being around your teammates, all those different things. Um, and it was one of those things where um, there was also a lot of lot of speculation around myself and Dom Cassisi about the captaincy, all that different, and that kind of, that that was getting to me as well. Um, you know, once the once the decision was made for Dom to be captain, I pretty much wanted to move forward, support Dom, and and, and play footy. But it just kept staying around and around and around, um, and kept coming up all the time. And I was honestly sick of that, sick of you know my knee, and like I said, and I wanted to a fresh start. And me and my wife had you know only ever come to football. Well, my wife came here, funny because her dad played for Collingwood in the 80s. So my wife lived here as a young kid um, but she only has a few memories so we thought, well, why not, let's move to Melbourne. Well, for her, move back to Melbourne and live in Melbourne and see how we go for a few years and then potentially move back and it's been 11 years now.
0: See, if you look at it, if if you said that was the last game you ever played and you finished at Port, you would have finished as a 157-game premiership player. Like that is an amazing (laughs) career. But now there's 220 more games with the Hawks and three more premierships. So (laughs) either of those careers, any bloke playing the game now would say, I'll have that one. I'm going to have that (laughs) career. Uh, uh, uh." So did, like, did Clarko ring you? How how did the the contact happen and why did you decide Hawthorne?
1: Yeah, well, um, yeah, obviously... 157 games. In, well, I spent nine years at Port. Yeah. 157 games, premiership.
0: You know all those things. Geez, you, know, you must so. be getting old, Shawnee. Like you must be getting old. If we <laughs> I've, getting... I've got one grey hair there. Right, it's, okay. it's actually, it just came up. Okay. Um,
1: it came up last year. I wasn't too happy about it. So I'm <laughs> getting old. But, uh, Port Adelaide are a huge. So my wife as well. She, her dad is a Port Adelaide legend. Um, she's a Port Adelaide girl. Um, her dad owned. A, they owned pub. They owned a pub in Port Adelaide. When I go back there, I spend all my time in the port, so I'm never too far from there. Um, but we thought it was a good time to get out and, and try something new. Um, and 157 games, I'm very, very happy with them there. And you know, the the career to play for Hawthorne, um, well, it became an easy one because Alistair Clarkson was my line coach. You know, obviously he was a coach at Central District, yes. And then he came to then he came to the power, and he became my line coach and my mentor um, at Port Adelaide as a, an assistant. Um, he'd do things like take me to the Women's and Children's Hospital and visit sick kids, you know, kids with cancer um, on my day off and to get my appreciation for how privileged we were. And So he would do things like that outside of footy with me. Right. Um, so I had that bond with him. Um, um, Andrew Russell became... Um, a really good friend and mentor to me. He was our fitness coach at, at Port Adelaide. Um, he came to Hawthorne. Um, so I had two really strong uh, people I um, have links with at the club um, and Brent Guerrero was there, um, Stephen Gillum, a couple of other players. Jeff Morris was in recruiting. So some the Port Adelaide people were there. So it just became once I'd made my decision to leave, to, to look at other club and I was like, well, I don't want to go to a club where I don't know anyone. Um, I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be, you know, well looked after. Um, I knew what Andrew Russell was about with the fitness and, you know, medical point of view, what he was all about. So it became an easy decision to to pick Hawthorne. And once a decision was made, it was, yeah, let's get there.
0: You mentioned a couple of times your knee, and it's it's one of these stories that floats around football you know, that the Hawks got you there and maybe it was two or three years and that'd be it and, you know, as a Hawthorne fan, this boat comes across, how's his knee going to hold up? Where did you see your career in relation to your knee? I, I don't know if you saw another 220-plus games and another three. I don't know. What did you see, Shawnee?
1: Mm. Um, it's, it's a it's a tough one. When you're 26 and you've never had an... Well, I had one injury before that, pretty much, but you think you're bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the surgery, yeah, my knee was, was in a really bad way. It's still, I'll have a bad knee for the rest of my life. It's just got to look after it and, you know, not put on too much weight, so, not much, so the weight doesn't go through the joint, but I'll have a bad knee for the rest of my life. It is what it is. Um, but I, the, the surgery I had, yeah, w- w- what I was told from the surgeon, probably didn't give me too much hope when he was about to put me under. He said, this is either going to work, Sean, or it's not, and it's going to be the end of your career. Wow. Oh, sweet, mate. Thanks. Now you're going to put me under? Oh. <laughs> wow. So that was pretty much <laughs> the last words um, the surgeon said to me before I went under the operating on table. Huh. <laughs> um, so I didn't think I was in for too much longer when he said that to me. Um, but, yeah, obviously I had the surgery, was on um, – I was on crutches for 12 weeks after um, the surgery where I couldn't put my foot on the ground because it would wreck the surgery. Um, and then the medical staff and that all took care of itself. So, um, yeah, it took a... Um, I think the, the thing about Hawthorne when I got there is first thing Mark Evans and Clarko said to me, um, along with Andrew Russell, was, we don't care if you miss the first 10 weeks of the first season, we're going to get you right. So that way you're, you can play... Longer than three years, if hopefully, um, and you can have a good life after footy. Um, so let's not worry about that. And just so happens that my first game I played in the VFL, I broke my jaw. Yeah. So um, I, yeah, snapped it through there, and um, gave me an extra four weeks of running on top of the, the short preseason I had because I was was in rehab. So um, the approach they took from the start was don't worry about if you if you don't play the first few games, which I didn't. I didn't play the first four, I think, um, but we're here to, for the long run. And it was interesting because at that time as well, Hawthorne, we got a lot of flack from people in the media saying they'd given up too much for me. I'm, I was never going to play again, um, all those different things. So they, they copped the fear, a fair bit of pressure as well um, at that stage. But, you know, they, they were really good and the, doctor, the medical staff were really supportive as well.
0: How did you deal with that when you couldn't play and you read in the paper that this club? What year are we talking, Shawnee? Did you come across? 10. Okay, ten, was my ten. So obviously, the Premiership in 8 9 didn't go to plan, 10 was a bit of a struggle early doors as well. So, how we—how do you cope with it being a professional athlete when things aren't going well?
1: Yeah, it was, um, it, it was frustrating because I came to a new club. You want to impress your teammates, you want to do that as well. But they, they kept saying, just slow down, you know, it, it did help that. The senior players at Hawthorne at at that time said, just, you know, take your time as well. So there was no pressure from them. And then we obviously got off to that bad start um, as well. And you're sitting in the stands and you're getting frustrated because you just want to play. We actually made a good run in the second half of that season and played finals. Uh, We lost to Frio over in Frio, I think, in the first final. But um, the the start cost us. So I I was pretty diligent in my my rehab and recovery um, because I was – as an athlete um, or as a footy player, there's no point in getting back if you haven't done the work and you break down again. So I was really concentrating on doing the right rehab to get myself back to so when I came back to play, I could actually make an impact and, and do what I've come to do and, and that's helped Hawthorne win.
0: To play 377 games, we'll talk about a couple of specific games shortly when we get to the real good stuff, when the Hawks just became an absolute powerhouse. How... Okay physically what type of preparation is required to play 377 games from a from a diet perspective how disciplined are you
1: yeah I'm probably one of the more
0: or oh, hard to say what the other guys do but I'm pretty anal and pretty strict on what I eat and what I don't eat what um, in what way give, give me examples of how much of a dedication is required for you
1: when I first got to Hawthorne um, Port Adelaide had bulked me up on a, for some reason on a bad knee, the weights program they gave me. So I put on five kilos of muscle. Yep. So I was, I was at 94 kilos, roughly 90, 94 and a half. Um, and the first thing they did was said, we've got to strip you down to 89. So um, obviously you have to watch your diet what you're eating, you know. If, you know, a lot of it. So i am been homeschooling here. Um, you know, a lot of vegetables, fruit, cut out, you know, um takeaway, um, oh. water, um, lean meat, lean, ch- you know, chicken, a lot of fish. So all that stuff, um, I decided, um, well, it wasn't I decided, we were in a, on a bus on the way to, to, to Tasmania, um, on the, um, well, we we landed in Tasmania. We were driving in the bus and Hodgie said he'd given up chocolate and lollies for, to see if he can do it. And I was like, well, I'm going to do it too, if you're doing it. Um, so I gave up chocolate and lollies, um, and then about a couple of months later, I said, mate, I'm still going. Are you? He's like, no, I only did that for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm still going. I'm still... Uh, so, so I haven't eaten chocolate lollies in probably seven or eight, six or seven years now. Um, so I gave her that because I wanted to be, take – I want to have less sugar in my body. Um, I want to have more natural sugars from fruit um, and stuff like that. Um, I don't venture out too much um, about fruit, and, you know, fruit and vegetables and, and lean meat and you know seafood. <laughs> so when
0: um, when, had... when when you pull the pin after four hundred and seventy games and seven premierships, let's say, let's round it off at seven, like Tucky, when you're done yeah. and you retire at that point, what's the first meal you're going to go and have? Like, what's the thing when you walk past <laughs> the fridge and think, oh, I oh, will.
1: <laughs> I'm fighting the, the fight now. My wife's trying to and my kids are trying to get me to eat chocolate. We just came through Easter and we've got like we've got a hundred or two hundred eggs in the house and they're like just try some dad. It's Cadbury. You love Cadbury. We used to love Cadbury. Um they eat chocolate in front of me all the time and then I like, just try some in the so they blackmail me. If you love us, Dad, you eat chocolate. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, they pull everyone's out. You don't love us. You don't eat chocolate. We want to. Enjoy, we want to enjoy this with you. Um, so that's probably. I don't know if I. I don't know. It feels like if I eat some chocolate now, just undo all the hard work I've done, and not
0: okay.
1: Um, so that stuff, and then you. Um, but it also diet, but your rehab and you, you know, your attention to detail is what gets you to play a long time. Um, I'm at the stage in my career where when I'm in the gym, um, whatever's pers- given in me in my program, I do. If, you sk- if I skip one exercise um, or one rep or something, I feel like, well, I'm going to do my knee, well, I'm going to do my hamstring. So I don't... I do exactly what's on the paper and I don't do any more, I don't do any less. And then if I am going to do over and above or, or less, I speak to the, the weights coach you know, or the physio or the doctor. I make sure I speak to two or three people <laughs> to get uh, a rounded opinion of what I should be doing.
0: So that's the, what you've given up and the physical side of it. You can't play that many games without a certain mental approach. Because you have ups and downs like anyone in life and there's things going on away from work and your work's footy and you have good days at work and bad days at work, you have injuries, you have successes. Yeah. What have you learnt mentally to able to achieve this type of longevity, mate?
1: Yeah, well, probably when I started, if you asked my, my older teammates at Port Adelaide and you asked, well, one of the fitness coaches, Dave Arnfield, who, who's a Port Adelaide legend within the club, a fitness coach, they would say that I was a pretty mentally weak person and I wasn't very resilient. <laughs> oh. That's what they would tell you. Um, they would tell you I wasn't strong at all, uh, which was probably spot on. And for me personally, I needed to hear that from my teammates and I needed to hear that from the people in charge of physical and you know the strength and conditioning guys. I needed to hear, well, you're actually not strong. You, you need to get stronger. You're not resilient. We need to put you in situations where you need to get Tougher physically and mentally. Um, that's why you do pre-season camps, which borderline on you know torture for athletes because you're supposed they're supposed to be hard and they're supposed to push you to your to your brink of, of you know of what you can achieve. And I think over time I've become better in this area. I'm not still not where I want to be, um, and I still want to be more resilient and more mentally tougher. and And I think that's where footy has enabled me to to challenge myself with those things, um, to to keep playing, you know, when I have an injury, you know, it tests your resilience when we have a loss, you you know, your mental capabilities of how do you bounce back, um, you know, all those things. So I've come a long way um, from when I first started at Port Adelaide because I actually, when I was at Port Adelaide, um, I had a teammate, Michael Wilson, who probably most people don't know, but for me, he was probably the most, he's probably the the most Mentally tough. He's probably the most mentally tougher. Is that the right yep. word? mentally tough. Yep. He was the, the he was the guy. Um, run through brick walls. you um, spoke about the premiership before. He needed two shoulder reconstructions. You wouldn't have known that. Um, hmm. People don't know that. But he played the whole season with, with two bung shoulders, um, and he was able to push through. And when I came through, I actually wanted to try emulate and be like him. I would, I would never ever get any I'll I'll never get close to what he is because he's freaking nature with his mental strength. Um, but it gave me a good reference point to where could I get to, what could I try to achieve and like you're saying, when you have those bad losses and all that, it's just an opportunity to to learn and grow from it and then and come back and and pre-season. I hated pre season when I was first started, um, because I wasn't I'm not a good runner. If you come to training now, I'm last on the track. I'm last every most of the long endurance stuff, hey, most really? of the, yeah, I'm not, I'm not good at all. But when I approach it, it's an opportunity for me to, 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 to get better and to try bridge that gap on the on the on the boys who are in front of me. Um, and that's exactly what I do every session is I try to get better and, um, and try to make those small gains. So um, even though there's all this talk right now about shortening quarters and all those things. I, I'm actually against that. I don't. I don't like the shortening of the quarters. And and I'm the worst endurance athlete there is. I think <laughs> it's a. It's actually. It's a. It's an opportunity to to tough it out and and to play and to push yourself.
0: That's the end of Shaun Burgoyne Part A. Plenty more. Plenty more to come in Part B.
1: Listener.